0: You all are a little chilled. (laughs) We're like, this is glorious. Um, So yeah, from Southeast Iowa and uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 25 years. We have four children, uh, David, Hannah, Micah, and Andrew, and they uh, range in ages of 20 down to um, 14. And so uh, we are in that stage where some are leaving and some are staying and soon to leave. And uh, it's been a lot of It's a lot of good. A lot of good. And uh, come from a a small Baptist church in southeast Iowa, Faith Baptist Church in Washington, Iowa. So we went from Washington, D.C. to Washington, Iowa. Um, And we, I think, prefer Washington, Iowa. Um, Blasphemy. (laughs) We enjoyed D.C. for a time. Um, And good to not be there now. And so that's a a little bit of who we are. We'd love to meet you after the service if we haven't met you already. And uh, uh, this morning we have the opportunity to go into God's word. So let me pray uh, before we open up his word. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for uh, the privilege it is to open up your word and uh, to see what you have for us there um, and what it means for us today. Father, I pray that you would use your word to shape and to fashion us to be more like Jesus, that you would convict us and challenge us, encourage us and equip us for uh, what is in store for us uh, and for your church in, in the days, weeks, and months, and years to come. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this, these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Do you all know what the current estimate is for the population in the world? Anybody know? Eight billion? That's right, about eight billion people. And I will jokingly from time to time as I'm interacting with my family is to say, I have a face that's easy to forget. Um, That I will interact and meet people from time to time and I feel like I'll go back after maybe six months or so and I feel like I have to completely reintroduce myself. I recognize them, but they don't recognize me. So I feel like I'm just am a middle-class white man that is easy to forget. And, and I think when you hear eight billion people, uh, we can't really wrap our minds around that. What, what does that number even look like? And, and if we think long and hard about eight billion people, there will be times where we think, What do I matter? I'm just one of eight billion. Does God even see me? Does he even hear me? Does he even know I'm around? And we can can get lost in those concerns. This morning, I want us to see from God's word that he does, in fact, see us, hears us, He knows us, um, and so I want to look for, at that from Genesis chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up or turn it on to Genesis chapter 16. And this is, this is the story of Abraham uh, and Sarah. If you're familiar with that story. And I'm starting in the middle of this account, of, of Abraham's account. So let me get you up to speed a little bit. Um, the, the story of Abraham begins at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Uh, and it quickly moves into, in Genesis chapter 12, of God speaking to Abraham, where he says in Genesis 12, to 3, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a big promise that God makes to this idol worshiping man and so they go and as they go to this place a thousand miles away we find out that they're liars not just listening to god but they're liars about who they are that's chapter 12 and in chapter 13 we learn that god is good even in the midst of relational conflict that abraham has with his nephew. In chapter 14, we see that God Most High delivers and blesses. And there is this introduction of this really interesting person called Melchizedek. Um, You should talk to Jonathan about Melchizedek sometime. We don't have time for that. Um, And then years pass after the promise. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, God confirms to Abraham uh, that the promise that he made to him, he is going to keep. And he does this by making a covenant a unilateral covenant that God initiates with Abraham. And he says, this promise I make, I am going to see it through. You are going to receive all the promises that I've made to you. Which brings us now to chapter 16. So with, the, with, the, with this hanging over our heads of this reminder that God made a promise to Abraham, whom he's called Abram at this point, And he's confirmed this with a covenant. That's how chapter 15 ends, and then we get to chapter 16. So let's look at chapter 16. Okay, I'm going to do something that we do at my church. I didn't clear this with you. I hope this is okay. Uh, But when we read God's word at Faith Baptist Church, we stand for the reading of God's word. So if you would, would you please stand, if you're able, to honor the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be so that I may obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Barat. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So right after we heard that Abram believed the Lord, after this amazing vision and dream of God ratifying a covenant with Abraham in chapter 15, we now have what seems to be a step backward with Abram and Sarah. God has been gracious to call Abram and to even make a unilateral covenant with him, and yet the day-to-day reality is still present. After all the promises, after all the victories, after the covenant, there is still no child. And They are in a land that is not fully theirs. And what we're going to see today, both in hard ways to realize and in ways that are beautiful, is that God hears and sees everything. God hears and sees everything. Even with that reality, isn't it true that we try to solve our own problems? Mm-hmm. We we try to take matters into our own hands. We might we might cognitively know that God hears and sees everything, but our life experiences will either cause us to question that or our life experiences causes us to forget <laughs> that truth. And that is that's what that's what's happening here in this account with Abram. Verse one is is the very clear, difficult reminder that Sarai still has not borne any children. In a time when having a child was in many ways the measure of your worth, Sarai is left wanting. And then we get this little hint at the end of verse 1 that something is brewing because there's this out-of-the-blue Sar- statement that says that Sarai had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Well, who, who's, who's Hagar? Where, where, where did Hagar come from? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai go to Egypt and they lie about who Sarai is. She's, she's just my sister. When in reality, she was more than that, she was his wife. And, and as it is revealed to the Pharaoh that Sarai is Abram's wife, um, there's this movement of, of putting her back where she belongs. And the Pharaoh actually just gives a ton of gifts to Abram and Sarai, even after they lie about who she is. And one of the gifts that they receive is female servants. So Hagar became their servant when they didn't trust the Lord. She's given to them. And then in verse 2, we see Sarai blame the Lord for the predicament that she is in. Now, what she says is true. The Lord is the one who opens and closes the womb. The Lord is the one who allows or disallows conception. But the tone is one of blame. She's blaming God. And instead of turning to the Lord... Instead of crying out to the Lord for this blessing, Sarah comes up with a scheme. My husband, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Surrogate childbearing was common and often used practice in the ancient Near East, but that didn't make it right. And and if for a moment we think, well, using the cultural norms is fine, what harm is there to do what everybody else is doing Well, the verses 2 and 3 show us, as Moses is writing the book of Genesis, he shows us in verses 2 and 3, clearly by alluding to Genesis 3, that what is going on is wrong. So in Genesis 3, like in Genesis 16, it says that Abram listened to his wife, just like Adam listened to Eve. Sarai took Hagar, just like Eve, took some fruit. And Sarai gave her to Abram, just like Eve gave the fruit to Adam. Mm. The same verbs are used Mm. to point out that this is sin. It is a lack of trust that is going on here. But they continue forward in their scheme with Hagar, who has no say in the process. And so she is given to Abram as a second wife, and they consummate the marriage. Abram is 85 years old, and he takes most likely a young slave girl as his bride, and he goes into her after their marriage. Maybe it was a marriage out of this for the sake of creating life, but it is still outside God's design for Abram to cling to another woman who's not his wife. They are disobeying Genesis 2. Therefore a, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. But now he's taking another woman. And what's fascinating I believe is that even though they are not trusting God, even though they are sinning, what happens? They still get what they want. Right? They wanted a child and Hagar conceives. So we, we might see this and say, see, see, it's, it's okay, just take matters into your own hand. We, we don't need God. We'll, all, we'll, we'll take care of it. All will be well. Our striving to achieve shows this. So often in our own lives. If, if, if we don't have what we want, we'll go after it. So So we, we might go into unwise or maybe even sinful debt. When, when our sin of discontentment boils up to the surface. Right? We aren't satisfied with what God has given us, so we'll just go get it. If we're going to climb the corporate ladder, it might require long hours at the expense of our family, maybe at the expense of our faith. If we're lonely, we might think, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to try out this online dating thing. No, there's, not, there's nothing inherently wrong with online dating. But we do need to check ourselves and find out why, why am I pursuing this? And, and do I hide some facts about myself if I'm a follower of Christ so that I won't be lonely anymore? And we, we end up drifting into areas that lead us away from Christ. Our relationships with one another are intended to drive us to love Jesus more. Our hurt, our pain, like Abram's and Sarah's hurt and pain, will cause us to do things that many times we shouldn't even give a second thought to. Not even consider. But too often, our pain causes us to blame God, turn our back on him, and take matters into our own hands. And in the midst of our, the pains of our life, are we trusting God or are we blaming God? See, so God hears and he sees everything. And so when we take matters into our own hands, as they did, almost always we will make matters worse. This is what happens in verses 5 and 6. Hagar conceives and all is great. A baby's coming, but notice what happens at the end of verse 4. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We didn't consider that there might be some consequences that go along with this. Maybe maybe Sarai thought all I wanted was this child. I didn't think it would it would get thrown in my face. Now we don't know exactly what this contentment looked like. Maybe maybe, maybe Hagar is just rubbing her belly and, and, and enjoying this baby in her womb. Maybe maybe when she's around Sarai, she laughs. Say that I'm pregnant. One commentator said, most likely is that Hagar simply had the glow of pregnancy. When, when, a, when a woman is pregnant and is desiring to have a child and is looking forward to bringing this child into the world, there's this glow of pregnancy. She's looking forward to it. And maybe, maybe that's all it is. Maybe she just has this glow of pregnancy. And that glow is heaping on Sarah. That's what she wants. And another has it. I was talking with someone recently that many times the New Testament verse that is difficult to put into practice is this weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think actually the weeping with those who weep is not the most difficult. It is the rejoicing with those who rejoice when those who are rejoicing have what you want. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's heaped on Sarah. And she makes matters worse. So what does she do? She, she blames... No, she blames Abram. May the wrong done to me be on you. May the Lord judge between you and me. And I would think Abram at that moment would be like, Whoa, Sarai, this was your idea. I I didn't didn't want anything to do with this. Maybe maybe he did But this this, this was your idea. But there's a reality that Sarai's right in blaming Abram. Yes, she's the one who came up with the idea, but Abram should have not listened to his wife. He should have led his wife at this moment. Sure, Abram didn't know what would happen if Hagar got pregnant, but Hagar does not get pregnant if Abram does right in two occurrences. First, Hagar doesn't get pregnant if Abram and Sarai don't lie about Sarai being his sister back in Egypt that's when they get Hagar through their lives and Hagar doesn't get pregnant if Abram doesn't agree to this plan and doesn't have sex with Hagar that, that, that's, what is, that, that's what has to happen for a child to come and so Sarai is justified in a way with how Abram has lacked leading well but she is also to blame one commentator said, once the way of faith was abandoned and the way of human calculation was engaged, the family was caught up in a continuing chain of cause and effect that troubled them for ages. It wasn't, it wasn't we're just going to do this little thing over here on the side and nobody, we're just, we just want a child. Well, it's going to affect them for a long, long time. So what happens next? Abram Continues to abdicate his leadership and he tells Sarai, listen, she's your servant, do with her what you want. Which Abram is, notice, returning Hagar to the status of servant. She's not my wife, she's, she's your servant. And with this wicked permission, Sarai takes the contempt that was, whether blatant or perceived, and heaps it back on Hagar. She is sinning against the one who is completely powerless. Hagar is in this horrible position, so no wonder she flees. She gets out of there. Hagar, Hagar, Hagar might not have been innocent, but she does not deserve what is happening to her. Abram and Sarah have made matters worse. And when the pain doesn't subside in our own lives, do we now start to blame the people who are just trying to help us? Right? They're, they're blaming Hagar. She was just this person who was used. And we, we do a lot of the same things. I, I've been in, in a pastor for over eight, almost 18 years, and <coughs> it, it has been so interesting over the years to see that the people that a lot of times require a lot of time and energy and effort and care and counsel and resources typically end up being the people who turn on you. We blame and accuse and lash out at the people that have simply tried to help. And we make matters worse. But remember, God sees and hears everything. And in this next section of this account, we see that reality because God hears our afflictions in verses 7 through 12. As Hagar is fleeing, most likely making her way back to Egypt, an angel of the Lord appears and asks her, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? Hagar responds, and then there is a message. First, the the angel tells her, go back to Sarai and submit to her. That was probably really difficult to hear, right? Go where you have been treated poorly. But there's also the reality that the Lord is telling Hagar to go, go to a place where he knows that she will be provided for. She has nowhere else to be provided for but with Abram and Sarai. And as difficult as this might be, because we see, because we see that God hears and sees, we can trust that God has Hagar's best interest in mind. He's not, he's not just sending her back to a difficult situation. He knows her. He sees her, he hears her, and he sends her back to a place where she will be provided for and cared for. And So the second message comes, her offspring is going to be multiplied, so it cannot be numbered as well. And then she is told that the name of him of the one that she is to bear because the Lord has listened to her affliction. And that's what we see happen in, verses, in verse 11. God hears our affliction. We, we can't Pass by too quickly in this account. What is going on right here? Lean lean into Hagar in this story. She has not been treated well, even though she, and and she might not even be completely innocent. But first, she is a servant who was given to a couple that she didn't know, probably didn't even speak their language, and and then she's taken away from her homeland. That's Genesis chapter 12. She, she is given to an elderly man as a wife and is forced to bear a child that she probably doesn't want any part to do with this. Third, she is treated harshly by a mistress, so tr- harshly that she runs away. She's treated unjustly, and the trouble she has experienced is undeserved. Hagar is afflicted, Greatly, and God hears. He hears. Not one of her afflictions have escaped God's hearing, and even the name Ishmael means "God hears." God hears. What a what a gift from the Lord. A, a, a reminder that her son. His his name is reminding her constantly, God hears. And this is good news for all of us. What, What pain, what difficulty are you experiencing right now? Please understand, the Lord hears your affliction. Not one of them is missed. And so if the reality is that God hears our afflictions, the encouragement is to cry out to the God who hears. Now you, you might be in a place where you think and feel like, I don't, I don't know if he does. It seems like there's only silence. And the life of Abram and Sarai is a great reminder that it has now been 10 years since God made a promise them and there is still no child they they of all people would have this feeling of does God even hear and it's going to be another 15 years before the baby finally comes this is the challenge just because God hears our affliction that doesn't mean that we will necessarily feel like he does all the time and it also means that not everything will always go well, even as he hears our afflictions, for us or for those that we love. But God hears. And then he declares that Ishmael will become a great multitude. But he isn't necessarily blessed by God. Verse 12 tells us that he will be a wild donkey of a man. He'll be against everyone and everyone against him and over against his kinsmen. God is saying Ishmael will be a strong, independent man, but his life will be a life of conflict. It's not very promising. He'll be hostile towards others. Others will be hostile towards him. And this has been true. Much of the conflict that still goes on today in the Middle East stems from this declaration. Kent Hughes says this. Little did Abram and Sarai imagine that their shortcut to have a child through a different means would originate a conflict that would run for millennia and that oceans of blood would be spilled. What does it matter that I'm doing in what I'm doing in private? Could have drastic implications. God hears and sees everything so God not only hears, as we see in verses 7 through 12, but we find out that God sees and provides in verses 13 and 16. The angel of the Lord says that God hears her affliction, and in verse 13 begins by telling us, in verse 13 begins by telling us that Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Notice what he calls her, him, what, what she calls him. You are a God of seeing. This, this is so fascinating to me. God says he hears her affliction and Hagar doesn't say, you are God of hearing. What does she say? You are a God of seeing. There, There seems to be something really significant here. People can hear us. They can even help us when they hear our affliction. But don't we want to be known? Don't we want to be seen by others? I myself personally have not experienced deep difficulty and tragedy. Some of you have here. Maybe maybe it's been divorce, maybe it's been the death of somebody close to you, maybe it's been a, a crushing betrayal or extreme sickness or physical pain. What I know, though I haven't experienced it myself, in counseling and caring for those who have suffered deeply, what they long for is to be known to be seen. And while the pain might not ever be exactly the same, being known by someone who knows something of what you are experiencing can be extremely helpful in those moments because you have somebody who seems to understand when maybe nobody else does. See, the other person doesn't just hear what's going through what's what's happening in your life. They see you. They know you. Tim Keller says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our own self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. This seems to be what Haggard is saying. You you see me. You know me. She also knows that God looks after her. And what is amazing about the Bible and scripture in this account is that some commentators have said that this Egyptian slave girl confers a name on God that is the only person, whether male or female, Jew or Gentile to confer a name on God the God who sees and so when this reality settles in, when Hagar has confidence that God hears her and sees her she obeys the Lord and she makes her way back to Abram and Sarah she bears the son to Abram and Abram the text tells us Abram names the son Ishmael. How how did Abram know what to name him? Well, of course, Hagar had to have told him, right? Hagar came back and told them of this encounter with the angel of the Lord and, and shared all the details. And now Abram hears and sees and obeys the Lord by naming his son, Ishmael. So so imagine, thousands of years ago, this little tyke is running around, and they call out to him, Ishmael, Ishmael. And every time Abram and Sarai say his name, they are reminded, as is Hagar, God hears. God hears. So cry out. He listens. Pray to the Lord who hears you and who knows you because he sees you. God sees and provides. And if you are in Christ, listen, you are fully known and fully loved. Friends, God still hears And sees everything. And and we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus frequently hears and sees those who would have never been heard or seen at that culture and at that time. Maybe you recall the story of the woman at the well in Samaria. Like the angel of the Lord, Jesus pursues her when she wasn't even looking for help. John 4.4 tells us that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus sees the woman whom no one else would see, and he hears her, and he engages with her. He says hard things to her, but promises her blessing beyond what she could ever imagine. And as she returns to where she came from, just like Hagar, a place that was difficult, she tells others about the one who heard her, and sees her and they too listen like Abram listened to Hagar and they believe church this has been and always will be the way of God and so do you feel like you are in a never-ending cycle of affliction do you feel like God has abandoned you? Do you feel like no one hears you and no one really sees or knows you? Do you do you feel like you have a face that is easily forgotten? God sees you. And he hears you. Listen to these words from James Boyce as I close. Most of us are not great in the world's eyes, and many are suffering or being as unjustly treated as Hagar was. You may be at the end of your rope. You may feel utterly abandoned. If so, the message of this chapter is for you. God sees you where you are and cares for you as you are. You are no less important to him than Hagar was. God sees and he hears everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for these accounts that are true, but more than the account of Abram and Sarai and Hagar and Ishmael, God, what we, what we need and what we need to be reminded of constantly is that you are the God who hears, you are the God who sees. Would you, would you by your grace, help us to trust you? And Lord, would you now make your word a swift word? Would you pass your word from what we have heard to our heart, from our heart to our lips, and into conversation? God, you you say that just like the rain does not return empty, so may your word not return empty, but that it would accomplish that for which it is given. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.